Hey, everybody, and welcome to the 200th episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. 200 episodes, hard to believe. We've come a long way, you and I. And when we get to the end of this episode and we do our weekly What We're Celebrating segment, I'm going to have a few more things to say about the fact that we've made it 200 episodes deep here on Gear 30. But what we really ought to be talking about here is that this is part two of my conversation with the CEO of ATK Bindings, Davide Indulti, and I sure hope you all caught part one last week because ATK is up to a lot of interesting things. And those of you who listened to part one know that the company also has a very interesting history. So Davide and I are going to be walking through ATK's product lineup, really trying to suss out the design differences between some of these products. And you are also going to get to hear Davide give his take on how some ATK products stack up against some of the other tech bindings on the market. And so with that, let's get to part two. Here we go. So uh, of course we will never we will never um, compromise on on the uh, development of new technologies for the racing field. So the first category is racing. We have over seventy percent of the competitors in the World Cup, and we won most of. Oh, I, I think I can fairly say nearly every competition this winter, this last winter in the World Cup with our Revolution Break World Cup. Uh, then uh, the next uh, category, so the, the user type is clearly um, a competitive guy, uh, which is using bindings for competition or training. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty clear. Uh, the next one is a speed. So uh, our idea of speed touring is uh, that's kind of uh, backcountry skiing of the origins, yep. where the important things were few stuff, the less the better, because we don't need anything that breaks up there, and we have to go as fast as possible. We don't need to get uh, um, additional jacket with us because we we will ski down in ten minutes from the top of the mountain, and. That is the style. And of course, it's a mix up of this kind of user. So really specialized, really uh, keen of being fast and, and light, as light as possible, but still focusing on reliability, absolute reliability, because those guys are the ones that risk the most normally, that are really looking for the extreme stuff. Uh, and it's a little bit, you know, uh, the limit in between uh, racing and uh, touring so it's a speed touring category so that's that's how we we condensate the concept of speed and uh, then we have a touring category the touring category is the most successful in terms of sales because it's the broadest it, it takes the broadest number of users uh, all of our bindings have uh, a brake system uh, in the touring category i means to say that the speed category as always um, is never offered with a brake. It's sometimes possible to mount post-mount brake, but it's normally coming only with the leash system. 
but in the touring category, in the touring segment, we want to uh, have a complete offering of break included with the binding. So it's a new kind of user, which is still focusing about weight, but uh, where the safety level and comfort level are taking space more and more. So the average weight of this binding is still below 300 grams for alpha binding. Uh, but um, the number of features and um, like the brake, like eel flaps or eel razors are uh, where how, how we normally say, uh, I don't know, adjustability of the release values of the binding, boot adjustability. So it's a very, let's say, flexible use of a binding. And that's a number of people which is raising, increasing and a day by day and uh, it's sometimes used also you know these guys are sometimes skiing uh, inbounds on the slopes also so uh, it's a very uh, defined kind of backcountry skier so it's the classical backcountry skier which is looking for one keyword to do everything one keyword to do everything can you just say a bit more about what we're getting where the big step ups are with respect to say an RT binding versus a crest versus a English, Americanized version couloir, how do you say it? Yeah, yeah, you can say that. I can say the, that. The name, the name of this binding is is actually trying to uh, copy or say the, the the French language couloir uh, for a steep skiing yeah. uh, channel, and and of course we we didn't want to write it in 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 uh, written uh, in French, yeah. written, but it's uh, as as we wanted to do something special. But yeah, it recalls to this kind of thing. So uh, it immediately drives you your mind to the uh, use address yep. of this binding. Yep. So steep, steep skiing on very high alpine slopes. But but tell us what we're actually. Where are the big shifts? Right. Is it more similarity than difference going from an RT10 to the Kular binding? Where do you see the big jumps and changes among these feature sets? Okay, it's it's not the easiest question as the number of binding that we bindings that we offer in our collection also means that the differences in between or the steps in between one model and the other yep. are not so big. Yep. Yep. Uh, because we try to customize all the specifics of every different binding. Uh, even when, for example, if we take into account the Crest 10 and the RT 10 from the 21-22 collection, uh, the, difference, the differences are pretty limited, but big at the same time. If you have a really um, uh, accurate eye, and you look into details, you will see that the RT binding is a high hand, let's say, luxury version of the crest. The crest is uh, aim is uh, to cover the basic needs of a backcountry skier. So uh, easy step in from the front for the front part, downhill mode, uphill mode, crampon slot in the front piece. In the back part, you can uh, lock your brake. You can have your brake active. You can you have the cam release system, uh, full adjustability for the boot length and everything. Uh, you have a heel flap system, so a heel, heel razor which is flipping back and forth. Uh, you can 
go flat with this binding. Uh, and all of these specifics are offered also by in, on the RT10 binding. But we are shaving 20 grams of weight from the in between the crest and the RT. And all of this is uh, done thanks to additional milling operations, which are uh, fine tuning the design of the binding. And um, that's all in terms of weight. So we shave uh, CNC, uh, we shave grams of aluminum with the CNC machine. And, uh, but we also have additional systems that are not offered on the crest. For example, the uphill hardness variator, we have a system that allows us to change the pressure of the pins during the hub pin in the front lever on the on the toe piece, for example, which is it's a system which is not offered on the crest. Still, the hard key is lighter, even if it offers an higher performance. Uh, in the back part, we have a magnetic stabilization of the heel flap, which allows you to use um, uh, your your pole tip instead of going down with with your hands for changing the position of the of the back part of the of the eel razor which looks like to be a simple change but is but is in the hand a really good upgrade in terms of fact that we don't add any weight to this system to achieve a better performance and a better comfort compared to the compared to the crest binding and um, of course, the crest binding is selling much more than the RT. We, we mean, I mean, it's one on ten. Wow! And this is due this is due to the fact that, as you've mentioned, not not all of us or not of all of our friends are nerd <laughs> nerd about CNC machining or saving twenty grams of yep. weight. Yep. And there's a price, so there's a price difference too. Yes. It's yep. Around it's around eighty euros retail. Yep. Difference. And all of this is given by the systems and additional CNC machining. So the crest is either your best selling binding or among? It's among our best sellers. Yeah. Okay. The best seller is the Raider. Raider 12 is the best seller. This is super helpful though. So what should we know about the Kular? <laughs> the Kular binding. Kular. Yeah. What should yeah. we say about that with respect to the RT or crest? Yeah, uh, the idea in behind of the couloir was to uh, target a very specific kind of user. And it's a simplified version of those bindings mm -hmm. that you have just mentioned. The toe piece is a little bit uh, heavier, like 10 grams heavier, due to the fact that we uh, have reduced, additionally reduced the, the uh, milling operations in the sake of having uh, additional stiffness the address of this binding is extreme steep skiing. Therefore, we really don't want to compromise uh, on a single gram. Uh, it, this toe piece is bone proof. You can you can really throw it down out of your, out <laughs> of your window. Davide Doesn't is matter. making throwing motions. I guess we can just yeah. take the binding and just smash it against the wall repeatedly. Yeah. He's, he's said yeah. that's okay, I guess. No, you should, should not try. You should not try, but <laughs> let, let's assume that I, I tried that. And um, yeah, uh, so the, that, that's about the front piece and uh, the back part is simplified. So we have reduced or uh, removed the cam release system and applied a U-spring system, which is a way simpler, a way cheaper also, uh, and allows us to shave a little bit of weight from the binding 
and in total we have like 25 crumbs less than the crest. All of the other systems are the same. So they share the same platform, same brake system, same adjustment plate, um, same elastic response system in the back. Um, and, but yeah, the address of this binding is simplicity, ease of use, and also why not to be a little bit cheaper thanks to the uh, fact that it has less components on, on it. If you don't need an adjustability of the vertical release system, you can compromise on that. You can shave 20 grams and maybe 40 euros. So that's, that's, there are two points, different point of view. Got it. All right, let's talk about the Raider 12. This is the first ATK binding I ever got on. This is the first binding that very much got me intrigued about a category of bindings that frankly, I was not very intrigued by. So let's talk about the Raider 12. You've said the Raider 12 and the Crest, these are among your best sellers. So you have, when we, when we started uh, to design the Raider family, the Raider range in 2015, 2014, actually, we were thinking about uh, those markets where the RT binding was too racing to be considered a uh, touring binding. So we started our development uh, of the actually, of the, what we call a uh, free touring range in 2014, in order to match with the idea, with a different idea of touring, which was belonging from the Northern part of the Alps. So in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, they were not really used they were, they were not ready to accept such a lightweight binding for their um, long days out on the mountains. And that's why we said, okay, just let's just shave a little less uh, aluminum from our toe pieces and why not? Just let's make uh, the same system, but with a slightly bigger head in the back part of the binding that it will look a little stronger. This is where you're like, will appeal to those silly people like me. Like, it, it, apparently, we'll just add some grams. And so Jonathan will be happier, even though it's silly and he could just ski the light one. Is that what you're claiming? Not really, because there is also, there are also other things in behind of it. But yeah, the, the original idea in behind of the uh, radar range was exactly that. So we need to make something that looks stronger to convince people that uh, lightweight, midweight, in that case, midweight touring bindings are the ones to be chosen. So that you have to choose and uh, because you can rely on them. And uh, we closed this kind of gap or visual gap, or maybe just uh, they were convinced about that. So as you said, uh, we had to close this kind of gap by adding some weight or some size. And uh, this actually worked, worked out <laughs> in some ways. But yeah, this was only the start and a funny, things to, funny thing to, to, to tell you, but um, there is much more in behind of that. When I entered the company in 2010, it's already more than two, uh, more than, sorry, it was actually 2012. It's more than 10 years that I'm here with my family. Uh, we did a lot of product evolution, but the main uh, evolution started around 2016, 2017, when I really became a keen ski tourer. 
where I really made um, or allowed ski touring to enter my life a hundred percent. So uh, I was really I'm I'm actually uh, skiing I don't know maybe eighty to ninety days in a winter, and uh, I'm the first tester of our products. So I always test. I'm the first guy, first person that tests our bindings, and I'm following the tests up to the end. So I'm 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 designing bindings. I'm uh, creating new patterns. I'm doing a lot of stuff in in the company, but most of all, I'm testing the binding and trying to read what the binding, what the market needs. And that is the processing behind. So when I started uh, skiing or to, when I became a ski touring guy, I had the chance to understand what was in behind of it. And I started developing much better products or to open our view about uh, what the market needs were. And that's why from the Raider platform, we released the Raider 2.0, where we introduced the double magnetic eel flap system in the back part that we didn't need to rotate our back part to, to walk up. And um, we started thinking about, okay, we need an elastic response system. We need to have a forward pressure. And we introduced it with the Raider 2.0 because they say, yeah, but my ski, I can feel that uh, with the fixed binding, uh, my ski is not bending naturally. We need, we need some elasticity. So we introduced that. And uh, I worked a lot on other, other systems like um, the front brake system. Um, we are known, well known around uh, to be the um, the ones that have always believed uh, in the front brake system as the unique uh, system uh, for for ski touring brake system. And because all of the brakes are designed or adapted from Alpine to um, ski touring, yeah. and you have to lock them when you ski up. You have to lock them, and uh, if you lose the ski or Let's say if you remove the boot from your skis and from your bindings, the brake will stay locked in most of the cases. Uh, when we started thinking about how a ski touring brake should look like, okay, the brake should be active anytime the boot is out of the binding. And in 2009, we placed a patent for our front brake system, which is still offered in a different version from that time, from the one of that time, but that we still believe that this is the unique uh, uh, ski touring uh, brake system available on the market because our brake system uh, is always active when you step out of the binding. So when the boot is out of the binding and it's that system, which is a hundred percent developed for, developed for, for ski touring. But then uh, the market uh, doesn't really think uh, in the same way we, we do. So uh, uh, they are really used to, to have the bind the brake system in the back part of the binding. Uh, it's an heritage from Alpine skiing, probably, and they really want this slick design of the front pieces. And um, and yeah, they they don't really like it. Okay, so let's let's stay on this for a second. Are are you saying that there are advantages in your view as a designer? you think that that brake should be, ought to be on the toe piece instead of the heel? Definitely. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I believe. Yeah, Why? I believe that because when you uh, when you are skiing up there, uh, you are ski touring, and your activity is made by two parts or maybe three. It's going uphill, it's walking sometimes, and it's going downhill. So it's three times, three different activities. And you need your break to be active anytime you need, especially uh, when you, let's let's take into account our Raider 12 with the back brake. When you skin up, the brake is un, is locked and you, it's, it, will, it won't release when you get, when you step out of your toe piece. So let, let's imagine that you are completely tired on the top of the mountain and you forget uh, to release your brake system. Uh, maybe, I don't know why, but you took off your skins, maybe even took off your skins from the skis and you put your ski down on, mm-hmm. the, on the field and the ski is yep, going down. takes off. And imagine if you would have a binding where you don't need to think about the brake because every time that the boot is out of the binding, the brake is active. So that's a ski touring brake system. Well, that I understand. I understand why that sort of active release or every time the boot is out, the brake is down on the snow. But can you just say a bit more about, so you're saying that can't happen on the heel as opposed to being on the toe piece? No, I, I'm not saying that because there is never a limit in the development of gear. It's, there's always space for new development, new systems and everything. But I'm saying that till today, we are the only ones that developed something like that. And it was in the front part uh-huh. of the bind. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. But I don't know that you answered the question about why you think it, we, I'm with you about when a boot is out of a ski, that brake should be down on the snow so that ski can't slide away. I'm still intrigued by the question about whether it really matters whether that brake is on the toe piece or on the heel. It, assuming that we we do want a brake that is down and engaged when a boot is not in it. Is that more of a debatable point? Some people, yeah, apparently you said the market didn't like the looks of the brake on the toe piece, but is this a more, ah, eh, could be on the heel, could be on the toe. That part doesn't really matter. But what does matter is having a brake that is engaged, you know, and actually breaking the ski, stopping the ski when a boot's not present. Just making sure we're on the same page here. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, it doesn't matter where it's placed. Of okay. course, there are advantages or and disadvantages in both cases. You have to take into account different uh, um, uh, dynamics during the uh, uphill or the downhill, depending on the position of the brake. But if you develop it right, doesn't does make any difference. Okay. Doesn't make any difference. Okay. All right. That was helpful. Where are we going next? To the radar range. So, are we ready to get there? Yeah, I think yes. Um, uh, but I I have to tell you one thing that the radar is already an old binding for us. So <laughs> I don't know if you want to really, I, we can start from that, but I, I would like to talk about the Radar Evo binding, which is going to land on the market for them during the upcoming season. And it really includes so many technical steps and technological steps in, in forward direction that um, I'm really excited to talk about that. Let's so, do it. 
the Raider, the Raider 2.0 was produced since uh, 2016, and we stopped the production in 2019. In 2019, we have released what we call the actual Raider 12. That's the same binding you skied on. Yep. Um, with this binding, we introduced a lot of new features, new technologies. Uh, first of all, the drilling pattern uh, in the front piece was um, quite small on the 2.0 version. And we were able to increase the platform of the front piece without increasing the weight. And uh, actually, we reduced the weight of the toe piece and, and the whole binding down to 340 grams instead of 365 grams. And the main features of the toe piece were, were, were on which we worked on were the drilling pattern, which was pretty wide against the usual Dinafit drilling pattern. Then we introduced a new feature, which was the snowpack proof system. So one of the worst thing about uh, usual or classical tech counter spring toe, toe parts of tech bindings is there's no build up or the, uh, there's no pack under the locking mechanism of the front piece. This is really dangerous for, let's say, um, beginners because they are not really used to that and they don't know uh, that the snow can really build up in a few seconds in certain conditions and uh, you can step in regularly uh, now and uh, have a fault uh, step in in one minute and that's really dangerous because they don't know that experienced guys you know it's it's different but beginners uh, which are most of the customers or 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 the people which is purchasing new bindings today um, they don't know about that so we wanted to seek a uh, safer solution for our users. So our, uh, the Raider 12 was the first one, uh, first binding that was looking to improve this and avoid that um, the this, snow this was building up under the locking mechanism. So the first step in and the last step in of the day will be exactly the same. That's very important. Then we have introduced um, a very important feature, which is uh, a specific design of front lever, which was um, say uh, trying to give you a reference, a visual reference for the stepping, which made uh, the Raider 12 to be, uh, or let's say to jump in the market uh, as one of the easiest binding to step into, to click into with the toe piece. Uh, because there are two uh, front parts, uh, two parts which are going in front of the of the boot and trying to give you a reference for for the step in. Then uh, we introduced even here the uphill hardness variator, which is a very it's a magical system on this binding. It's a tiny little uh, pin, metal pin, which is CNC'd in in house by house, and then it uh, it is hardened. Um, it treated outside to get it really hard and you can you can place it in three different positions and you can move the forward the front lever in three different positions and you can then increase or reduce the locking hardness of the binding in order to increase comfort as i mentioned before you can have it really tough raw, and art, or you can have it really smooth if you want to be really comfortable. And the idea in behind of that is the fact that uh, the front piece 
of the Raider 12, as most of our bindings is 100% made out of metal. So there are no plastic pieces on in, in, in no plastic pieces on our bindings. Uh, I mean, when I mean about when I talk about uh, structural parts, uh, there are some uh, small components or maybe adjustment plates, but all of the bodies of our bindings are made out of metal. And this means that the front edge of the radar binding is pretty stiff and precise at the same time, because we CNC with a tolerance of 0.001 millimeters sometimes. So it's pretty tight. And that means that this binding was not really accepting uh, the difference in between um, different productions of toe, toe inserts that were molded inside of the boots. So uh, the tolerance or the, the size of the toe uh, tip insert uh, was not really stable at that moment. And we had to um, uh, create this system in order to compensate the different sizes of inserts available on the market and offer the best retention and the best um, uh, comfort for the users with this high-hand top-of-the-range binding. Um, then when, you, when we move to the back part, I think that the design was the key point of that, of that back part. Uh, the release systems are always the same, were always the same, are actually the same of the 2.0 binding, and, uh, but we introduced the back brake, so the, the rear brake, which was a kind of uh, game changer for us because uh, moving the, uh, the, the brake from the front to the back opened um, our, our collection to a much wider and much broader uh, number of customers and, and users, um, as I mentioned before, because most of the people was really uh, used to see the brake in the back part of the binding. They were unlikely open to, to, um, to consider the front brake, even if the brake was actually working perfectly. <laughs> so there will always be an, a fight on that, on that, <laughs> on this, on this topic. But yeah, this was, this was a very a big game changer, extreme, extremely well designed, super reliable, so stiff, high performance in the downhill with our camera D system in the back. I don't know. Uh, it was a game changer. The Raider 12 was a game changer at that time because the competition was focusing on, you know, plastic. Um, I don't know, maybe uh, injection molding or uh, steel plates or things like that. And we were focusing on um, getting huge quality perception to our customers, which is not only a perception; is also, of course, uh, reality. But um, uh, the idea in behind of that product was, okay, we are in front of the best ever binding, so the best binding ever produced. There's no discussion. And that I think we achieved this target at that time. Hmm. Okay, so then let's talk about the free Raider bindings. So uh, it's quite quite, uh, quite easy. From the structural point of view or the design point of view, it's... 100% identical to the Raider 12. Um, we do um, build and design and engineer our products to be um, 
you know, bomb-proof in terms of structural parts. Therefore, the difference in between 12 and 14 of in terms of, you know, um, loads and uses, and they are pretty similar. We do not make any difference on that level. Uh, what we make a difference on is the release performance of the binding, where we have designed different curves or different components inside, especially the CAM profiles inside of the bindings in order to achieve different release curves. Um, the biggest gap is the address of this binding. So when we launched the Radar 12, we were kind of, we met our users and our customers and said, they said, okay, but still I'm, um, there is a kind of user which is not convinced about tech bindings, even if this binding <laughs> is so, you know, I don't know, it's, it's so beautiful. It's so well designed. It, it has a lot of features which I will I will never expect. I would never expect from a tech bindings of three hundred and forty grams. Still, I'm missing the contact in between boot sole and ski or binding, and that's why we have designed the free ride spacer and the free raider fourteen name. So free raider instead of raider belongs just from the fact that it has a higher release value and includes the free ride spacer within the box of the binding. Mm -hmm. And the free ride spacer is not only a um, stomp pad underneath the binding or, or, or in the front of the back part, just to reduce the gap in between uh, boot sole and the top sheet of the ski, but it's a, actually a fully adjustable in eight um, uh, system which is also able to slide sideways and to follow the release of the boot in order to avoid any uh, interference with the release values of the binding, which is definitely erasing, or let's say erasing is a little bit too much maybe, but it's closing the gap in between tech bindings and alpine style uh, bindings. So those, those bindings which are usually seen on the slopes. Um, the difference, as I said, uh, Davide, uh, I don't really trust this system because these, you know, my boot heel is hanging on these two pins. They are very narrow. They are very close one to the other. How can you expect that uh, my, my power transmission in between the boot and the binding is that close or, or enough? for me as a professional skier uh, that I can really commit or uh, let's say um, I can really accept to use these kind of bindings. And I, I was not accepting this sentence. I didn't, I didn't like that because I was so convinced about the CAM release system stability. And I wanted to close this gap and we designed, we have designed the spacer, the free ride spacer, uh, which is simply erasing the distance in between boot sole and uh, top sheet of the ski and reduces the torsional movement of the boot because there is no space anymore in between boot and ski, but there is a full contact in between boot sole and the ski. And the power transmission is not anymore passing only through the pins, but it's uh, passing through the sole of the boot and is transferred by a much wider base of contact given by the free ride spacer. So it's the closest thing to an alpine feeling 
that you will ever find on the market in terms of tech binding. Still, knowing that this binding, including Spacer, is weighing only 365 grams. 365 grams for a, a, for a free Raider 14? Alpha pair. Yeah. This has been a fun conversation about sort of customer, consumer perceptions, right? Oh, that binding looks funny with the break on the toe piece. I want to push you a little further here. The downhill performance of a Raider 12 versus the downhill performance of a free Raider 14 with that spacer. Are you suggesting that that is a little more in the head of the consumer who just doesn't like the look, doesn't trust the look of that sort of more of a floating heel? So it's where it's those weird ones of us who think a break on the toe piece just looks funny. So you're like, okay, fine, we can put it on the heel. Talk a little bit more in your opinion about the downhill performance characteristics of, say, the Raider 12 versus the free Raider 14. No, it's all but not only in the mind of the people. So it's it's a definitely it's a proven scientifically proven uh, improvement, and um, uh, the uh, the difference is quite big. Uh, I can tell you that um, you can uh, personally I can uh, start feeling um, this kind of difference with skis over ninety millimeters underfoot uh, below this size. Hmm. Um, the performance oh there are some skis which are designed some backcountry skiing skis that which are below 90 underfoot which are designed for skiing <laughs> definitely and these skis are challenging the binding hmm. and the boots so there must be a complete setup around this topic and um so these skis are probably um calling for a free rider free ride spacer but in my experience for the trend of um, construction style of the skis for skis below 90 uh, you don't really uh, need uh, this the introduction of the spacer i can tell you that we limit now the use of the spacer at 95 millimeters so we do not uh, recommend or we do not allow the use of a spacer for technical reasons uh, below 95 millimeters underfoot huh. um, because of the design features that when the spacer is sliding on the sides, it's going out of the ski. And if it's hit by something, then it can break. So it does, it, it's not functional on skis gotcha. below 95. Huh. Um, even though we, if we are releasing a new spacer and that's a, a sneak peek, how do you call it? Sneak peek. Sneak peek. No, sneak peek. <laughs> we are we are about to release a new new spacer system for the upcoming season, which is going to work on skis above eighty millimeters. So even those guys which are are charging with uh, narrower skis yep. will be happy about that. Hmm. So um, yeah, I I can tell you that it's. All, but not only in the mind of people. It's it's proven. Uh, it's we we shave a lot a lot of degrees of inclination, or how do you call it? Um, when displacement in between boot and ski position, 
and it's it's a really big step. You don't need you don't need to have any pressure in between the spacer. Sometimes people they really want to um, uh, create some interference in between the boot sole and the spacer because they think they will get more transmission, more power transmission, or more precision. It's not actually true. The good setup of this uh, free ride spacer is to be close to zero gap in between, maybe a little bit of gap because, because you can't even imagine which are the movements or the displacements during yeah. the downhill yeah. on, on, on alpine bindings, which are, or, or you can even take into account alpine racing bindings. They have huge displacements during the downhill. So, uh, I, I just, get a smile in my face when I see people that, ah, but I should adjust 0.1 millimeters more or things like that because they really believe that it really makes a difference. No, it doesn't make any difference. But on a big scale, you pass from having a torsional movement of maybe three degrees down to one degree. And this is a big change. This is a big improvement. Doesn't matter in from three to 2.9. <laughs> it doesn't make any yeah. difference to anyone. Gotcha. That's helpful. And I think for, you know, some people listening to this who maybe are, you know, ski touring typically in very mellow slopes, and it really is more about being outside and the fitness element of going uphill and, and it is a more mellow, casual skiing experience down. I think you've kind of articulated well, you know, who ought to be looking for a free raider and someone who where it's like, oh, I, I just might not need that. What I'm doing out there just might not call for this level of power and precision. And I, I just think it's good whenever we can help clarify for people. So it's not like the free raider is the best, greatest, all the bells and whistles, everything, everyone might as well just go get this. It's back to, well, it really just depends on what you're doing and where your priorities are and the like. And I think you've done a nice job of detailing that and clarifying that for people among the different ATK products. The weight of the spacer is nearly ridiculous because we talk about uh, 30, 28, 30 grams per ski. So it's pretty limited compared to the performance enhancement that you, the improvement that you get with that, with this, with this system. So uh, I would personally suggest everyone to install this spacer, even if they believe they don't need it, but only with skis above 95 millimeters underfoot even on the Raider 12 or the Raider 10, because it's included with the Free Raider 14 binding, but it's offered as an accessory for the Raider range. So the whole Raider binding, uh, Raider bindings can install, can have this, this uh, accessory installed on them. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I stand corrected. Davide is saying, everyone get a spacer <laughs> for your, your Raider or, well, you already have it with your Free Raider, but um, yeah. okay. Should we go to the sneak peeks? I think we should not focus too much on the sneak peek today because our friends will probably <laughs> be angry about the fact that we will not be distributing these products on, on the US and Canadian market for the upcoming season. But then that just means we need to go to Europe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, we, <laughs> we, will, we will have a late introduction of these bindings during the winter. So uh, there is a complete range of um, of radar uh, radar bindings uh, 
uh, new new range, which is called Raider Evo. It's not only Raider, it's also the RT Evo. And uh, the main features, uh, the main steps forward are two steps. One, the biggest one is in terms of, well, maybe three, sorry, it's design. We have an amazing design. It's futuristic. It's, it's just looks like, like, um, something not, not from, not from the tech bindings industry. <laughs> it's different. And, um, the second one is a semi-automatic brake system. So it's much easier to use and to handle. And <clears throat> you don't need a really a manual activation, but it's much faster in the transitions. And it, and most important, it gets released automatically from the uphill to the downhill when you make this transition from uphill to downhill, which is very important in terms of safety. <clears throat> and uh, the biggest, really, the biggest step forward is in the front piece. The front piece is now offering a release value adjustment uh, in the same way that the heel piece does. So you have to set the same release value on the front piece and the back piece. And uh, you are gonna have the most performing binding out there in this mid-weight class, uh, thanks to the best balance offered in between toe piece and ear piece. Because one of the, one of the um, let's say, um, historical problems about tech bindings is the fact that the toe piece is not adjustable in terms of release. And having a toe piece which is not adjustable means that this toe piece will work, will have to work right for me and for you at the same time, or maybe also for my wife, which is weighing only 47 kilos. So, uh, and I'm 97, so it's a little bit different. Uh, and the whole adjustment is, in charge with the uh, back part. Um, this means that there is most of the times the balance in between the performance of the toe piece and the back part is completely not existing. There is no balance. Um, and a lot of pre-release issues uh, of the toe piece when um, are belonging to this because the back part is holding very strongly and that's that's for any tech binding. The, the back part, when when you crank the screw uh, to the maximum release value, um, because you want to ski hard on it, um, you are thinking about okay, I have a, a very high release value, I can I can ski hard, but then the front piece is set to perform like five or six, and it will never work because it will release, it will pre-release you, and this is why lots of um, high performance skiers are staying a part of tech bindings, or maybe uh, they lock the front lever when they want to ski aggressively. And this is unfair, in my opinion, because we work every day since 15 years to improve the performance of our bindings and to have people skiing down with the safety mode enhanced and not with the front lever locked in. I'm not the one that says you should never lock the front lever in the downhill because when it's a no-fall zone or things like that, you will definitely have to take into account of skiing with the front lever locked uh, because you don't want to lose your skis. It's very clear, but it's upon your decision. It's your decision to do that or, or the other. 
But yeah, the idea in behind of that is to close the gap or to balance the front piece and the back part of the binding. So to reduce the delta of uh, strength in between the minimum and the maximum release value of the binding in the back, not, not value of the, the forces that are involved into achieving this range of release values because the toe piece is compensating this. For example, the new Radar 13 EVO uh, will have an um, uh, adjustment range in between 5 and 13, and uh, the, the toe piece is cooperating with the back part and will um, change the pressure of the pins in between the minimum release value, which is 5, which, is our, which will be around 4 kilos of pressure, up to 11 kilos of pressure when the binding is set at 13 kilos. So you can easily imagine that the toe piece retention is extremely balanced hmm. compared to the user needs yep. instead of being just weak. One size fits all kind of a, yeah. yeah. One size fits all that sometimes when you have a binding which is um, aggressive, uh, let's say, as an aggressive orientation or aggressive uh, target, normally this binding as a toe piece, which is harder than usual, and uh, therefore the weaker or the lighter skiers or maybe the less aggressive skiers will, will not be, um, let's say, uh, fitting with this kind of product. Um, so it's not really uh, easy to stress these products. With the new EVO range, with the adjustability of the front piece, release values, uh, we are really um, uh, creating this new league of products. And still the weight is just 355, 360 grams. So we, in, we placed, we created a lot of new systems. We increased the safety standards. We increased the, the ease of use. We, for example, we, this binding is completely snowpack proof. So there is not a single millimeter of entrance of space for the snow, ice or debris to enter the binding. We have increased the front lever size, uh, still gaining, a few grams of weight in order to have a binding which is easier to operate, uh, easier to find the front lever with the pole tip when you want to open it with the pole, for example, and stay comfortably uh, standing up without going down on your on your on your binding with your hands. Um, at the same time, the safety feature of the brake system, which is automatically releasing, it's very very important. So um, it's it's new stuff coming in twenty three. So it's but yeah, it's still 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 on the way. Still on the way. W would you say overall is the releaseability or achieving consistent releaseability is that the single most difficult aspect of designing a tech binding like for example i'd say the answer is definitely not retention it is pretty easy i would assume to design a tech binding where someone never ever comes out under any circumstance right so but is it a different element than that consistency of releaseability 
Like, what is the single hardest thing, would you say? Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, it's a tough question because it's, there's a lot of things uh, in behind of that. And of course, the, um, the tech bindings or our tech bindings, but in general, most of tech bindings are uh, not safety certified. So we, our bindings are not safety bindings. We do not comply with any ISO, not even ISTM uh, standards. And we clearly state that. So do not use our bindings if you are looking for a 100% safe binding, which is fulfilling the needs of uh, safety standards, international safety standards. But uh, still, we are doing our best to uh, meet most of the uh, of uh, uh, the rules and the standards within these international standards. Maybe we do not uh, fulfill 90, we do not fulfill 85, we fulfill only 70 or 75 because uh, the target weight that we want to achieve does not allow us to meet this last 25, 20% of the standard. And uh, a part of this is also consistency, consistency in the release, uh, re releaseability of the binding. So um, there is a lot of work in behind of that. Um, for example, our strategy is, of course, we are focusing on performance. So the stability of the binding is key for us. When we ski downhill with one of our binding, with any one skis with one of our bindings, the precision is the key point. We don't wanna, we don't want to see these back parts which are moving around on one side and the other, losing precision, losing power transmission and feelings. We want to stay as precise as possible, as low as possible on the snow, and um, have a direct contact with what what is lighting be beneath us. And uh, of course, this leads to the fact that our back parts are pretty precise and the elasticity on the sides of the back parts is not as big as other, or uh, let's say as the Alpine standard bindings is uh, expecting to offer or it's actually offering. Uh, it's a matter of you know, uh, strategy and, and, uh, product, uh, product strategy and, and development. So we want to produce performance binding, which are offering a much more than fair safety level, uh, still not compromising on performance. So it's, it's, there's a similar discussion also on the Alpine bindings segment, because there is, for example, Rossignol or Luke which is producing an extremely elastic binding. Uh, there is uh, Perolia or Salomon, which are in the middle, in between. So they do like to have some elasticity, so a good elastic range on the binding. So therefore offer a consistent release value, enhancing a good elasticity of the binding. And then there is marker bindings, which are completely stiff or really stiff, still they offer enough elasticity, but uh, which have an idea in behind of the product, which is more similar to ours, which is stay precise until you reach the release value and then release. <laughs> interesting. That was a really interesting characterization. Um, and so as a generalization, you are saying your 
design views in terms of elasticity, retention, and releaseability, you're willing to say as a generalization that sort of marker and ATK have a, but man, that's a fact, design philosophy than say a look or Solomon atomic. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. And I have to say that uh, 10 years ago, um, I was at my first ESPO show and uh, the main engineer of marker uh, bindings, he came to our, our booth and he, he wanted to shake the hand of my father. And he said, oh, uh, I'm, I'm following your patents about tech bindings. You are definitely the ones that are breaking the rules. And maybe there was a connection already at that time. But yeah, we don't have any connection with market. It's just a match in between, you know, expectation about product performances, I guess. And of course, they are not as good as um, in the tech bindings oh. systems as as they are with Alpine bindings. I can I can I can uh, joke uh, make a joke about that. I think, uh, but yeah. Uh, they have a very long heritage and history, and I can only say that we we uh, we are following the same strategy that they are following on the Alpine bindings. Can we say a word about that? Because you know Solomon and Atomic and Marker have all now released more minimalist types of Turing bindings. We've talked quite a bit about Dinafit or classical tech bindings, but can you say a word about the current offerings from say, you know, a Solomon or a marker? I mean, they, it's fair to say, I think they sure look a bit more similar to an ATK binding than say, than the marker Kingpin does. Talk a little bit about that. So, uh, both of them are, um, both Solomon and, uh, marker are, um, focusing a lot about industrialization of the product. And uh, they really focus on, um, you know, producing big numbers with, uh, I don't know, forgings, injection molding, and all this stuff. So they develop uh, the binding at a really high grade in terms of engineering, but they then I think they, they miss a little bit of, um, of the last part, which is production and, and mechanical know-how. So they are, um, offering, um, um, especially marker is offering a very, um, simple product, which is probably, um, uh, not the best in terms of, uh, uh, reliability over the years and lasting performance and everything, but still working fairly well, um, especially for beginners and especially uh, with a fair price, which is definitely a good point for them, as I would uh, definitely go for a marker alpinist instead of going for a speed turn of Dinafit. I'm, I think I can, I can easily say that, and most of the customers will easily share my opinion. Um, still take a look at the ATK <laughs> couloir binding, which is uh, matching or let's say going over most of those uh, specifics which with much, much lighter weight and much better constructive uh, technologies and materials. So that's, that's clear. We use only uh, mo- most of the couloir is produced with uh, 7075 aluminum alloy. And uh, so it's 
uh, it's a very high grade uh, and mechanical, uh, high performance mechanical uh, alloy from aluminum. And we do use only 7075 alloy in our factory. We do mill, I don't know, around uh, 7 million parts in 22 in our factory. And all of these parts are used in our bindings. And um, the, I think that the supply chain, the fact that we produce everything in-house also helped us to uh, recover better from COVID situation and to be able to support the market and the uh, ski touring enthusiasts uh, in, in approaching this this new new segment for them because uh, we were we were able to deliver products. Hmm. Interesting. That's another another thing that is differentiating us from the others, I guess. This has been great. I have had a lot of questions about the history of ATK and really how everything is being done there. And uh, so you have provided excellent answers to those questions. And it's really cool to just learn more about ATK's design philosophy. Uh, construction processes and approach to all of this. So I, I really appreciate it. I was I was really liking it. <laughs> well, on that note, I'll let you go. Go get some sleep. Yeah, we'll we'll talk again soon about perhaps a, a rendezvous in your neck of the woods, as we say. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Blister Funds. <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, it is now time for our What We're Celebrating weekly segment. It is currently Tuesday, June 7th at 9.47 p.m. I'm recording this earlier in the week than I normally do because, well, you'll hear in a second why. I just got back a bit ago from a great mountain bike ride with a couple of my neighbors, and I'm actually going to be sneaking in a different upper body workout in here in a second. But then after that, I'm going to be raising a glass of 15-year-old whistle pig rye because there are a number of really exciting things to celebrate. And um, we're breaking out the 15-year-old. What can I say? So first of all, as we said at the top, this is our 200th episode. When we launched this Gear 30 podcast back in 2017, I had a suspicion that there were a whole bunch of you out there who would really be into a podcast where we just went unapologetically deep into the weeds and really got into the niceties of design and product differentiation. And here we are about five years later, and you all have proven me right on this one. I've mentioned it before and it's true. We have a lot of very, very high-level designers and engineers all across the globe who listen to these Gear 30 conversations. I think it's a way that they are kind of keeping tabs on what's really going on in the industry. And that's just something that we're really proud of here because, as I think all of you know, when we started Blister back in 2011... We just thought that there was a significant lack of attention 
being paid to the actual design details of all of this expensive and interesting product that is what we go use to do what we love so much. So thanks to all of you who have been listening to Gear 30 from the early days. Welcome to those of you who are new to Gear 30. You're all welcome here. And we're just really proud and happy to hit episode number 200. And uh, what I can tell you is nothing is slowing down around here. I hope you have that sense. But man, that's a fact. We just look forward to keeping this going. Another thing that I was reflecting on, you know, since we started Gear 30 five years ago, you know, we launched the Blister Summit. That is definitely not slowing down whatsoever, and soon you will be able to sign up for the Blister Summit for next season, and I have a hunch those spots are going to go very quickly. Then, of course, this year, at the very start of 2022, we launched Blister Labs, and Blister Labs is a development that, in some ways, I feel like is, well, an incredibly cool, but a significant development in addition to what we've been trying to do here at Gear 30 and Blister in general. Another thing, tomorrow, Wednesday, the 8th, I'm heading to Italy and France for the first time in my life, and there are going to be some very, very interesting Gear 30 conversations coming from this trip, in addition to some other very cool things that will be happening and you will be hearing more about on Gear 30. And then in addition to that, there's a good chance that I'm going to end up meeting Davide from ATK in person, and maybe more importantly, I'm going to have, I hope, the chance to meet Davide's father. And if I'm really fortunate, I'll be able to stand with him next to his beloved CNC machine from 1998. And then I might just declare it's been a good life and walk off into the sea or something, because that just all sounds kind of amazing to me. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I sure hope that uh, especially meeting Davide's father and seeing the 1998 CNC machine That's going to be a high watermark moment in the history of Blister for sure. Finally, last thing, I definitely want to again say thanks to all of you who have been on this journey with us at Blister. I know I've said it before and I tell other people this all the time, but we really are incredibly proud of you and the community that has formed around what we've been trying to do around here at Gear 30 and around Blister in general. And so tonight, I promise you, I will be raising a glass to all of you tonight as well. And that then brings us to the end of this 200th episode of Gear 30. I want to say thanks again to Davide for the great conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, who has been here helping us out making us sound smarter than we actually are since the very first Blister podcasts. And from the entire Blister team, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will be talking to you again this coming Monday, where you are going to get to hear a remarkable conversation that I actually recorded earlier today with Kimmy Fasani that I cannot wait to share with you over on our Blister podcast. You will not want to miss that one. 
All right, everybody, have a great weekend, and we will talk to you again on Monday over on our Blister podcast. Ciao.